Good afternoon and welcome to Blueprint for Efficiency, a webinar speaker series hosted by the Yale Center for Business and the Environment. My name is Nick Klein and I will be your host for this afternoon's presentation titled California's Energy Efficiency Strategic Plan. The Yale Center for Business and the Environment is pleased to launch our fourth annual installment of Blueprint for Efficiency. This series of public webinars emphasizes the latest opportunities for energy efficiency. Each presentation is recorded and available on the Blueprint for Efficiency website. Today's webinar is the first in a three-part mini-series on energy efficiency in California. Be sure to check out the second webinar in the mini-series on Tuesday, April 2nd on Innovative Energy Efficiency Financing with David Nemtsau and Frank Spasaro. In today's webinar, we will explore California's long-term energy efficiency strategic plan with our speakers Rory Cox and Christina Skierka. Rory Cox is the project manager for the California Energy Efficiency Strategic Plan. Christina Skierka is president of Energy Initiatives and worked on-site for two years with the California Public Utilities Commission to implement the visionary goals of California's Energy Efficiency Strategic Plan. Finally, we would like to remind our listeners that we welcome any questions you might have and we will direct them to our speakers at the conclusion of the talk. You can type questions directly into the GoToMeeting chat, Go chat window. And with that, we welcome Rory Cox and Christina Skierka to Blueprint for Efficiency. Well, hello, everybody. Um, as uh, Nicholas said, my name is Rory, and uh, I've been with the California Public Utilities Commission for all of 11 months now. Um, however, um, Christina has been with us for, um, Christina, has it been four or five years? Um, I did so. So uh, yeah, she's she's been with us for a while now. So um, she has been and she's been working on this energy efficiency strategic plan for a long time. So this is just a, an overview of what we're going to cover. Um, some sort of historical information about the strategic plan and um, some uh, progress to date of what has come out of the plan, and also some of the challenges and the lessons learned that we've that we've encountered with the plan. And really, this I, I want to begin the story back in um, the, the late 1960s. Um, this was a time when there was uh, California was a, a, a quickly growing state and found itself in a also a heavily polluted state, as you can see from this uh, photo of Los Angeles. And between the, um, the this sudden onslaught of pollution that Californians were facing as well as the energy crisis of the 1970s where uh, there were shortages and oil price spikes. Um, the, the state decided that it needed to prioritize energy and energy policy as a, just sort of as a matter of doing business. And this timeline kind of shows what some of the major milestones in the, the history of California's energy is especially in regards to energy efficiency. Um, out of the wake of the energy crisis, the state uh, founded the California Energy Commission, which started to take a look at these issues and started to sort of ask the questions of how we can how we can grow our economy while, while not growing our energy usage. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm going to go through some of the what uh, some of the strategies that were employed, and that all kind of leads up to the strategic plan. So the, uh, like I mentioned, the Energy Commission was created in 74. And what happened in uh, 1982 was that the, the uh, Energy Commission decided 
decided to decouple the um, profits of our investor-owned utilities from the power sold. So they used to be in the business of selling power, and they kind of changed the frame to actually incentivize to to actually incentivize providing energy, but not not providing the uh, the actual uh, revenue from from kilowatt hours sold. So that this was a, a key strategy that you can see from this um, this graph, what we like to call the the Rosenfeld curve. Um, it's not really a curve; it's really a, a flat line. <laughs> um, but it's uh, it, it shows that in California, per capita energy com consumption has has remained pretty stable since um, since the late 70s, in comparison to to uh, the, uh, the the national consumption, and and Rosenfeld is Art Rosenfeld, who was a uh, was, was one of the uh, was was in the energy efficiency um, cutting edge from the very beginning. And in 2003, what what happened? Uh, a lot of you probably heard about the 2000-2001 energy crisis, where we had rolling blackouts. And uh, and price spikes, and in the wake of that, the state uh, decided to take a more um, a more holistic and um, planned approach to energy, and uh, we launched what was called the Energy Action Plan. And one of the things that the Energy Action Plan did was create a loading order, and the very first priority in our loading order, and this is for um, preferred resources, is energy efficiency and demand response. Um, followed then by renewables and clean distributed generation, and the the last resort was uh, the, the cleanest available fossil fueled uh, generation. So from 2000, so you can kind of see where we we've always sort of put efficiency first. And um, in 2006, yeah, the AB 32 was was passed and. Um, in California, and AB 32 is a which targets a greenhouse gas reduction of 30 percent, and um, it's intended to get us down to 1990 levels of emissions by 2020. Well, one of the things that's in the um, that's in the scoping plan for AB 32, um, and that's called the Global Warming Solutions Act, is that energy efficiency is supposed to make up 15 percent of our of our um, emissions reductions. And this is just an overview of the, the three key agencies that are carrying out um, a lot of these policies. There's uh, the one that I work for, the California Public Utilities Commission. We regulate the investor-owned utilities. We set the rates and determine the revenue requirements. And we approve electricity generation portfolios. The Energy Commission sets uh, energy standards for buildings and appliances and uh, permits new generation. And the Air Resources Board is the one that's uh, in charge of implementation of uh, AB 32. So just to get into where the strategic plan came from, um, in the in the wake of AB 32, just sort of looking at how we needed to, you know, meet that 15% goal, um, there was a, a commissioner, Diane Grunick, who was um, um, one of the the five commissioners on the um, on the. Public Utilities Commission at the time, who sort of saw that there was a need to um, look beyond the two to three year portfolio cycles. So what, what happens in California is that our, our utilities um, plan their energy efficiently um, in portfolios that we approve. And these are mostly in, in two to three year um, planning windows. And uh, Commissioner Grenick saw that there was a need to look 
longer term in order to really sort of plan for the future and plan for energy efficiency. So she really wanted to look out to 2030 and, um, and, and really look at how we can, what things we can do to really push the envelope with energy efficiency, with uh, developing zero net energy buildings, and to, to transform the market. And when I say transform the market, um, I mean, how, what, what can we do to incentivize these programs now so that they will not need incentives later, um, so that the market will, will adopt them? And part of the strategic plan that was published in, uh, in 2008 was uh, what we call the Big Bold Goals. And uh, the first two are all about zero net energy buildings. So um, all new residential construction in California will be zero net energy by 2020, and new commercial construction will be zero net energy by 2030. And uh, there's also some, um, the, the other two are around uh, transforming the, the HVAC and how um, HVAC systems are, are permitted and developed and how they perform and also that uh, all eligible low-income customers, customers will be given the opportunity to, to participate in energy efficiency programs by 2020. So what is zero net energy? Um, this is a very, very simple explanation um, and it's, uh, it's, it really is an ongoing discussion, but, but in very simple terms, it's a, uh, a zero net energy building is one that creates all the energy it needs over the course of a year on site. So it might be generating a lot of solar resources during the summer and selling excess to the grid and then during the winter months it will be um, using power from the grid but it nets out because the building presumably is so efficient that it doesn't use a lot of energy to begin with. So it nets out over the course of a year and that is kind of the, you know, the, the um, the holy grail, if you will, or the, um, the, the, the strong vision that we've um, really put forth in the, the uh, strategic plan. And this is just some of the, some of the major things that have, um, that have happened with the, um, the strategic plan. It really influenced the 2010 to 2012 energy efficiency portfolio. And uh, we passed a $3.1 billion budget with a savings of um, six, gigawatt, uh, 6 gigawatts or the equivalent of taking three 500 megawatt power plants off, of, uh, off the grid and reducing 3 million tons of greenhouse gas emissions. Um, we've started new programs for zero net energy, um, local government's implementation of energy efficiency programs, uh, workforce education. Um, we're talking more and more about integrated demand side management and, um, and you know, just sort of beginning a lot of, we, we just started a lot of new concepts um, from the strategic plan that we weren't doing before it. And um, we estimate the creation of 15 to 18,000 skilled green collar jobs from a lot of these, um, these initiatives. So in terms of, um, so like I mentioned about market transformation, the idea is to eventually be able to remove regulatory driven process which involved 
the um, you know the business community, the utilities, um, developers, um, the people in the technology industry, the environmental the environmental sector. Um, you know, a lot of different stakeholders had a lot of input into the strategic plan, and the sort of philosophy behind the strategic plan in its implementation is that uh, we need to keep them involved in the in the creation. Um, in the creation of, of the market goals, and you know, sort of keep them invested in the into the into the plan. And so this is sort of the this is just a, a model of what our what the processes look like, wherein we've started with um, groups of stakeholders, who. You know, form have sort of form subcommittees, and you know, really sort of through stakeholder discussions and um, vetting different ideas, really prioritize what the you know the, the the most important things that they can agree on are, and um, and out of that we have the the, the major goals of the uh, of the plan, and um, and again that's just sort of how we um, how we get that stakeholder buy-in. And uh, at this point, I'm going to turn it over to Christina, who's going to uh, talk more about the, uh, the action plans that we've developed from the strategic plan. Thanks, Rory. Um, and just by way of background, too, I want to stress how unique the process was that developed this strategic plan. Um, in the course of literally a couple of months, something like you know, 40 meetings were held engaging over 500 stakeholders. Um, it really is, it, it was an unprecedented effort. Um, again, all based on that idea that, um, that, that there needed to be a deeper level of commitment from the market itself um, instead of just regulation from the state. Um, so this slide is just a brief overview of sort of all the tools that we use um, to really try to bring the big, bold energy efficiency strategies to life. Obviously, it's the partnership with other state agencies and um, the direction to the IOUs through their energy efficiency portfolios um, that form a lot of the work. But what we're going to talk about next is how actions plans and the champions networks um, also filter into this. Um, so Roy, if you don't mind uh, forwarding to the next slide. Um, as background, even in the very beginning, when the, the, first, uh, the first work on the strategic plan was done in 2007, when it was just an idea, um, it was clear that the goal was a pronounced commitment from business and government leaders, as well as, as really figuring out a way over time to engage collaboratively with the expertise of the market. Um, that the plan itself was always designed to be a living document to make sure it stays relevant, um, especially in such a dynamic marketplace. And importantly, uh, we also recognized early on that the plan didn't identify a way to track progress towards the defined endpoints. Um, so over time, more decisions came forth from the commission and more actions came um, forward from some of the work I was doing um, as a senior fellow with, uh, with the Energy Foundation to really, to really ingrain this in the fabric of California's energy efficiency industry. So on the next slide, um, you'll begin to see some of these elements, but the idea was to address these issues um, in partnership with utilities and state agencies and develop action plans that can identify the key actions required to achieve plan milestones. So 
just so you can get a sense of, of how action plans transformed the strategic plan from a, a policy document into something that was you know, living and breathing and, and actively um, forming the industry. This is how the strategic plans, uh, I guess, goals are set up for each of the sectors. So out of the stakeholder process, we identified strategies. And then people came up with these general, very general sort of target timelines of near-term, mid-term, and long-term implementation. Obviously, it's hard to plan that far out. And it also can be overwhelming to people trying to implement this kind of effort if things aren't sort of broken down into bite-sized chunks. So in the next slide, you'll see how this transformed into the format of the action plans, where we worked with the community, oftentimes um, many of the same people involved in the creation of the plan, and oftentimes we brought in even a, a broader net of people uh, who, who we knew were essential to help really bring this action to life, to prioritize milestones and goals, um, to actually identify people as champions to lead the cause of a particular strategy that would add up to achieving the goals of the plan, and then get very specific with key actions and create a more, um, more reasonable or understandable timeline for the near term. Um, so so this, this whole process we refer to as action plans, but an important part of it is this element called um, champions. So Rory, could I have the next slide, please? So with champions, um, this is an example of the diversity of, of organizations that we had involved with just the commercial sector. You can see a diversity of public and private sector, big names and small names, um, but this is really the fabric of energy efficiency in California. So the concept here was to, to work with the broader stakeholder community um, and, and really leverage the work already being done in the state um, and sort of amplify it, if you will, and use the, the action planning process as a collectivizing force. Essentially, what these champion networks were asked to do was to help prioritize the strategies, come up with the, the tools to achieve the goals, and then help us identify how we were doing in terms of progress with the strategic plan. So in the next slide, if you don't mind, Rory, um, we're just going to talk a little bit about progress to date. Um, in the broadest terms, you know, leading, uh, continuing to implement the plan uh, with all of these different action plans has been a massive success. It's quite an effort, and it's quite unusual for a state agency to take this kind of uh, leadership role in this way um, in the marketplace. So we've got the commercial zero net energy plan, the HVAC plan, and the lighting plan um, already working and implemented uh, in the sectors. Um, and Nick, I was going to suggest that uh, in follow-up, we provide links to these action plans so people can see sort of how they look and work and, and a more sort of detailed example. Um, the others that you see are, here are, are also moving forward and likely will be uh, moving forward with existing residential and commercial as well. In the next slides, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the general progress and how that relates to the overall goals from the state. Um, there's 12 chapters to talk about here, so uh, we won't be touching on everything, but rather we just selected a couple of highlights that we think are good examples of the kind of progress um, available through the plan. Um, the vision that we talked about a little bit earlier with the, the 
big, bold energy efficiency strategies, the, the vision for zero net energy residential is just that, that by 2020, uh, all new buildings, that's new construction, not existing, will be zero net energy. The idea here was to, to have a bit of a rallying cry to achieve all cost-effective potential for energy efficiency. Um, and this would include demand response, clean energy production, um, and, and all of this in everybody's homes is, is really the idea. So how that's come to light um, and, and really sort of taking, taking flight in California is the Energy Upgrade California program. It's the largest home retrofit program in the state. And it, it, you know, the details of it are more particular, and we can certainly talk about that in the Q&A section. But um, essentially, it's, it's, a, it's going with a whole house approach. So instead of you know, looking at particular widgets for lighting, et cetera, it really is meant to be holistic, looking at the house as a system. Um, in addition, the fact that we've gotten so many smart meters installed, and this is growing exponentially, um, we're expecting a several-fold increase in the next year. Um, the installation of smart meters is essential to the work of zero net energy, to be able to measure and manage energy use. Um, and then in addition, you know, there's some other related elements in the market, including uh, a competition to encourage the design and building of zero net energy homes. Um, prizes in this way have been really essential to help develop the marketplace. In the next slide, we'll talk a, a little bit about commercial zero net energy. And, um, you know, this is, this is an area that's gotten uh, just an, a large amount of attention in the state. And it's true that California actually does already have more uh, zero net energy buildings than anywhere else. Um, and, and with the advent of the strategic plan, uh, the utility programs have a number of new features that support zero net energy commercial buildings. Um, and in addition, you'll see um, both the CEC has joined the zero net energy Um, in about 10 years will be zero net energy. Um, benchmarking has been an important policy change. Um, and also pilot demonstration projects are essential to building the marketplace here. Uh, in the next slide, the focus is on uh, the industrial sector. And you know, the industrial sector in California is a major driver of our economy and a major consumer of energy as well. Um, in most cases, uh, we're looking at something like a, a third to a quarter of uh, natural gas use, um, and same goes for electricity use. I think that's closer to 16 to 20 percent. But in any case, it's a massive piece of the industry, and this includes everything from you know, food manufacturing to um, electronics. Um, and even chemicals and petroleum. So, so really figuring a way to work in this sector was an essential part of the strategic plan. And the vision was for um, an industry that, that really would be focused on integrated savings into the achievement of the greenhouse gas goals, gas goals as well. So there would be cooperation between the CPC and um, the Air Resources Board as we're moving to achieve those goals um, for AB32. And one of the most exciting developments here really is uh, the Continuous Energy Improvement Program. I've got that um, uh, abbreviated as CEI, but this does drive a comprehensive management approach um, that also includes the performance tracking. So the idea is to um, make some changes, track it, adjust, track it, adjust. Um, in the next slide, I'm talking a little bit uh, about HVAC. Um, and, you know, in, in particular in California, heating and cooling buildings is, is one of the largest electricity end uses in the state. 
um, and the single largest contributor to peak power demand. Um, and from a market perspective, the industry is really competitive and segmented. Um, and so this reason uh, led to one of the most important factors in our success in the HVAC se sector, which is the formation of the Western HVAC Performance Alliance. Um, because of the diversity of segments in the industry, because of um, the complex uh, building codes and permit requirement patchwork, um, it really is considered one of the most challenging industries to, to sort of get uniformity in in the state. So with this stakeholder effort that has continued over time, uh, we've seen a lot of incredible changes. And a lot of that is focused on the goals in the strategic plan for HVAC, including improving code compliance, uh, ensuring quality HVAC installation and maintenance, uh, encouraging whole building design, and really making sure that new HVAC technologies and system diagnostics are constantly being used and developed. Um, and then the last two uh, groups we'll look at is codes and standards and lighting. And with codes and standards, um, what's interesting about codes and standards, uh, especially as we're looking at more regulations to move the state towards zero energy, um, it's an incredibly cost-effective effort. Um, we spend about 1% of the energy efficiency portfolio on codes and standards, but yet about 20% of the overall portfolio energy savings comes from CNS. Um, so how does that turn out? Well, we have a couple of uh, building regulations that end up uh, getting uh, adopted and, and edited over time to meet market demands and also to meet goals related to the plan. So Title 24, which deals with uh, buildings and, and the appliance standards, Title 22, also uh, are affected. But in this case, we're looking at things like in, you know, instituting benchmarking codes or um, cities and counties with reach codes to try to stretch and achieve more than the state baseline codes. And then the last sector we'll talk about is lighting. And uh, lighting, obviously, is uh, sort of one of the, the favorite tools of people when it comes to energy efficiency. Um, we've all probably heard the terms of low-hanging fruit. Um, and in particular, in California, lighting is important to us. It, it represents about a quarter of both the residential and commercial electricity use in the state. Um, it is a fragmented industry, and there's also been an incredible influx of competition um, in this space with venture-backed startups um, and a, a ton of government incentives. Um, so lighting is also on a cusp of significant change. You know, with all these digitally-based technologies, along with advanced products, control systems, and standards, there's a potential for a real revolution here, um, including longer lifetimes for lights, easier controls, and digital systems that integrate with smart grid and renewables. Um, so, so for us, you know, this focus on lighting is incredibly important. And um, some of the ways that, that we've started to see change in this marketplace through the work of the strategic plan um, is seeing new lighting transformation programs that really test and advance the market. Um, also, specific uh, focuses on advanced consumer lighting beyond CFLs. Um, and then training for um, best practices, really, um, in advanced lighting control systems um, for a lot of the workforce in the space. So with that overview, um, I know the, the last topic uh, we really wanted to cover before Q&A was just generally talking about lessons learned. And um, Roy, I know you and I were going to talk through this together. So why don't I um, let you tee things up, and we can just have a little um, back and forth as we look at each of the slides. 
Sure. Thanks, Chris, uh, thanks, Christina. And the first thing I, um, that we wanted to talk about is this sort of the idea that, uh, as I always say, this is not the the PUC strategic plan. It really is the California uh, Energy Efficiency Strategic Plan, and it is um, designed for the entire state. Um, in in that includes uh, many voluntary measures that are beyond our authority. Um, and so the the you know the real lessons um, that um, we've learned over the over the years and that I've learned over the months is that uh, we really do need to uh, in, you know engage the key state agencies from day one of um, of the work that we do um, don't rest on uh, one plan champion one plan champion which is to say you know um, really keep the champions network alive and you know really um, um, keep them active, keep them talking, and keep them thinking about innovating and growing the network. Um, and, and Roy, too, on that topic, um, just one of the unique challenges uh, with this plan was that Commissioner Diane Grunick was uh, a real leader. Um, she, along with Jean Clinton, who is currently serving as a special advisor to the governor, um, really sort of led the path, blazed the trail for the development of the plan. Um, and shortly thereafter, Diane left the commission. And, you know, that sort of vacuum of leadership definitely uh, was a challenge for us. And I would imagine other states or, or policy agencies that would be looking at something similar could have a similar situation. So I think one of the lessons um, from my perspective, at least, is, you know, grow your champions earlier. <laughs> and while it's great to have one very vocal leader, um, it could be even better to have, you know, a group of people who are all often out there as spokespeople um, and leaders on behalf of the plan. That's right. Um, the other uh, another challenge is just how expansive it is. Um, we did have um, 12 chapters and hundreds of milestones, and you know I'd say that there's quite a range of um, milestones. Some are and goals. Um, some are very aspirational, and some are very um, we you know saw some we've we've met already. But um, you know the the real lessons to learn there are to prioritize the big wins and, and high level leverage strategies. Um, you know, and, and develop these action plans, um, which breaks our, our plan into uh, sort of bite-sized pieces, but also uh, enables us to sort of expand and get into the, the nuts and bolts of implementation of the, the different pieces. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, just to apply the project management best practices and, and keeping up momentum and demonstrating achievement. Yeah, I, I think the important thing there, too, on that, that concept of prioritization, I can't emphasize enough how important that was. Um, you know, anybody who's seen the actual document itself, it's, it's over 100 pages. And those grids, if they were overwhelming to look at on a webinar, are even more overwhelming when you're sitting at your desk trying to figure out how you're going to implement the strategic plan. And so working with stakeholders, I think, to develop uh, the priorities was really important. And some of the criteria that we used for that um, included identifying things that were um, I guess sort of being taken care of either 
uh, already in other action plans or somehow underway in the private sector. Um, so for example, there, was, um, there were several strategies within commercial zero net energy that focused on financing. While that was all extremely important, we knew that financing was being addressed by the CPUC um, under its own proceeding. And so at least with the group of uh, stakeholders focused on commercial zero net energy, we instead prioritized things related for example, to building codes and developing the path to zero uh, communications campaign to help really you know, up-level the understanding of zero net energy. So that prior prior prioritizing um, was extremely important since people only have so much time and so much energy. Um, another challenge is that the plan has limited authority um, in that it's not, a, um, it's not an enforceable document and um, some of the things that we've learned there are to um, you know really identify ways to uh, to replicate the key objectives for example um, the um, the ZNE goals being adopted by the, the Energy Commission and the governor's office and to sort of identify and sell the mutual benefits of institutionalized collaboration and co-authorship of the plan and you know pursue additional options like executive orders and legislative action um, and um, you know I mean having said that the the strategic plan is um, quite a, a guidance document uh, if you will for a lot of the energy efficiency portfolios uh, planning that that happens uh, within yeah. the PUC's proceedings that's a great point Rory and um, and I think one of the things that that we've taken away from this effort over the last few years is that you know, you have to really rely oftentimes on this concept of creating a movement. You have to create something that people want to be part of, especially in areas of the private sector that aren't um, regulatable um, currently or um, where you're looking for voluntary action. There's so much of the plan that is voluntary action and requests of the private sector. So uh, creating something that was almost, um, almost a movement or, or a sort of campaign um, was part of the success of this effort. Um, Long-term versus short-term, um, like I mentioned, we do our, our portfolio planning in two to three-year increments, and uh, this long-term vision is, um, is not aligned with the, the short-term incentives that, uh, that we um, offer to the, the utilities and to um, other stakeholders. So the, you know, the, the lessons learned there that, is that we really need to sort of leverage the action plans to to create, um, you know, growing and manageable in increments, and to identify the, the non-resource programs outside of the, the, the cost-effectiveness tests that we that we use, and um, really leverage the private sector to demonstrate the, the savings potentials of new technologies. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, just to that point, Sue, the non-resource programs, um, I'm not sure everybody understands that language, but just as an explanation, um, and, and Rory, you may want to add to this, it's, it's funds that aren't required to demonstrate energy savings. Um, and so that's a, a, a portion of every energy efficiency portfolios that the, pub, uh, that the privately owned utilities put together and the CPUC approves. Um, so that includes things like marketing and communications. It includes things like some pilot programs. Um, and those are really essential, especially when thinking about the uh, market diffusion curve and how things are adopted in the marketplace. And so being able to get some of those pilot 
programs and demonstration projects off and, and running um, to, to really encourage early, early adoption um, was a very essential part of the strategy. Um, funding. Um, when isn't funding an issue but <laughs> um, or a challenge? But um, um, additional funds are. We, we're always needing additional funds to achieve the plan's goals. And uh, the lessons learned there are that we, you know, really need to determine the budget needed to to achieve the goals going into it. Um, you should be setting aside funds dedicated to the strategic plan and uh, it, we, you know, examining ways to institutionalize dollars to implement the, the plan. And the plan has, um, has limitations um, in terms of, you know, that we have uh, needed to make mid-course corrections with our action plans. Um, we recognize the need to update the plan at regular intervals, and we really sort of need uh, have you know we we have identified the need to really prioritize the use of metrics and specific uh, smart goals. Smart being, um, uh, I know it's I, I remember the measurable one. What does the S stand for, Christina? Specific. Specific, <laughs> measurable. Uh, Actionable. Actionable and, and, and so forth. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so that is that ends our presentation and uh, at this point we are um, ready to take questions. Great. Well, thank you both very much for a wonderful presentation. Um, before we begin the question and answer period, um, I'd just like to remind all our listeners that the slides and the recording of this webinar will be available on the CBay website um, after the webinar is completed. So for our first question, uh, we're wondering, are there other analogous plans in other states in this country? Has any other state kind of uh, developed a plan that is this broad and, and this long term? Uh, I, I can take that. Um, so, in fact, this is the only plan like this in the U.S. that we know of. Um, now, there's other states that have done some great work um, in this area. Massachusetts, in particular, is very well known for some of the work they've done um, developing strategies for, for zero net energy. But in terms of a plan that is this expansive, um, this broad, um, and something that uh, is, is really this aggressive um, with, with some of these goals. It's the only thing like it that, that we know of. Great. Well, but we, but we hope that there will be more. So here in Connecticut, we have a uh, state agency known as the DEEP, which I guess would be analogous to the California Energy Commission. Um, and Richard is wondering, uh, to what extent can zero net energy buildings be included in the DEE's, DEEP's comprehensive energy strategy. Um, and, and maybe I'll just add, you know, what, what kind of, are, are there geographical or renewable resource requirements for a plan like California's? Well, I think California is uh, in a unique position for solar resources. Um, they're they're quite good in much of the state, so um, you know I think you do sort of need to look at those um, 
those, those geographic advantages or disadvantages that you, you, you may or may not have um, wherever you are. But I do think it's, you know, I, I do think the, um, the idea, I, I do think it's always true in energy that one size does not fit all and that it's, um, it, it is, it does take a, you know, a, a look at your specific region to see what, what can be done. Okay. Um, in one of the uh, one of the challenges you mentioned was was funding. Um, Joe is curious, uh, kind of what was the the cost in terms of money and time of developing this plan and ultimately implementing it and over overseeing it and maintaining it over the course of this plan. Um, and I mean, because California is so large, the cost may be proportional to the size of the state, but um, Joe's wondering about the cost for other states that are considering uh, a similar plan. Christina, do you want to take the cost of developing the plan? I can answer that generally. So um, the way that the plan was funded was um, essentially through a partnership of efforts. In terms of being able to truly calculate you know, the total amount of time spent from all the individuals taking time out of their days um, at the office to be part of this, or, um, you know, the folks at the utilities, um, or, you know, the state agency officials who were part of the effort. Um, that Nobody's ever actually tried to calculate that. We've talked about that several times. Um, but it hasn't gotten done yet. I, I think it would be hard for me to, to make an accurate estimate at this point. Um, and Roy, maybe you want to respond to the other two topics that were raised. About I, I also just want to add that the um, the the portfolio that followed the um, strategic plan was a, a 3.1 billion dollar um, budget, which um, which yeah over the course of um, over the course of three years was a billion dollar annual budget for our and that's just the IOU portfolios um, for energy efficiency and uh, that does not count all the other uh, all the other things that were were happening. Great, um, Ted is wondering what have been some of the most successful elements of the plan, or or maybe some of the most uh, impactful results of the plan. I think um, there have been a, a few. Um, I think the, one of the more remarkable things that happened was just how this uh, idea of zero net energy buildings, which is a pretty avant-garde idea a few years ago, has kind of made its way into the, the, the mainstream of energy uh, here in California to the point where now we have this executive order that um, new state buildings have to be zero net energy. And you know there is a lot of momentum behind you know, zero net energy. There's uh, a lot of, you know, we, we don't know if we're going to make that aspirational, those aspirational big bold goals that we um, that we set forth. But um, but it's certainly gotten to be a very um, that has gotten to be very mainstream. And um, Christina. Yeah, I would just add too. So I think you know, there's there's been some very specific results in the state of California, many of which we elaborated on in this presentation. 
But beyond that, there's been global impact with this plan. And, um, you know, everything from having a delegation from Nigeria come from the, come from the CPUC a few years back and spending an hour with them to talk about strategic planning and energy efficiency to, um, you know, folks in Japan and Canada and the UK. I mean, so many people have um, really asked a lot of questions and wanted to learn how to do their own strategic planning um, around energy efficiency. And I think that that kind of global impact is, is actually one of the most significant wins for the overall industry. Great. Um, so Hal points out that we're, we're five years into the plan. And he's wondering if it's on schedule, uh, if parts of it are intended to culminate in 2020. Uh, he's asking whether you think we'll we'll make it, whether we're on schedule. And uh, Natalie is wondering in particular about the residential zero net energy standard um, and whether or not that will be achieved by 2020. Well, um, I, I don't, um, in terms of the, I, I will say that the um, our building codes are definitely getting, um, Better and better in terms of in terms of what new buildings uh, will achieve with energy efficiency. Um, whether and I, I know that that's you know coming through in our our uh, uh, Title Twenty Four um, building codes that the that the CEC is passing, and you know those are um, you know getting re remarkably more stringent. There are some issues with the enforcement of those codes. Um, and I know that that's a, that that is a, a problem in some areas, and it's up to local governments to enforce them. So, you know, there are obstacles like that that um, that are in the that are that do uh, hinder progress. But I think, in terms of what's actually on the books, um, you know, I think we're we I, I could see us having all new homes being at least zero net energy. Capable, and I'm sort of, you know, I'm sort of guessing here. We're in that they are so efficient that you know the, they may they may not have the solar panels, but they're 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 very uh, low low energy using buildings. Um, that I, I I you know without uh, if I have a crystal ball and can kind of say what is what really could happen, I can see that happening. Um, but it is really hard to say, and you know those those goals were very were very aspirational. Yeah, I, I, I would just footnote as well on that topic. Um, you know, there's been some ongoing debate within the community involved in the strategic plan. How much is, uh, a, how, how important is it to have realistic goals versus aspirational? And I think where um, Roy and I have sort of ended up on this is that it's good to have both. You just need to be clear on which is which. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about updates to the plan, et cetera. So um, I would just keep your eyes peeled. I would think sometime in the coming year there might be uh, more clarification on that um, because it is important to have both, to have things that are very specific and smart, <laughs> as we talked about, including realistic and time-bound. Um, but it's also important to have a vision and something that, that we're aspiring to. Great. Um, so David is wondering uh, whether the strategic plan addresses rates and tariffs and uh, their role in energy efficiency strategic development. 
Um, I'm, I know that we cover, it, it does go into financing, but I don't believe we get into rates and tariffs. Is that right, Christina? That's correct. It's not included in the strategic plan. Um, is, was there a reason for uh, omitting it? Well, it's a different department in the CPUC that works on that. Roy could probably speak better to that than I could. But this was um, specific to energy efficiency, um, which is another part of energy division in the rates group. Okay. So uh, Rodney was hoping you could say a little bit more about uh, the place of promoting efficiency in building O&M and building commissioning and recommissioning and uh, in the California uh, strategic plan? Um, this isn't my, uh, <laughs> this isn't one that I'm, uh, uh, is, is not my strong suit. Christina, do you want to take a? Yeah, yeah. can you just repeat the question? I'm a little, it, it was just a little confusing. Um, sorry. Say more uh, about, yeah. yeah, Rodney was hoping you could uh, speak a little bit about um, what, the strategic plan is doing to promote efficiency in building operation and maintenance and uh, building okay. commissioning and recommissioning? Yeah, absolutely. So um, obviously, and that's a great question because, you know, commissioning and recommissioning is essential. This whole idea of continuous improvement that we talked about in the progress to date section, absolutely essential. So um, there are key components in particular of the commercial uh, part of the program, including benchmarking. Um, there's also uh, commissioning and retro-commissioning provisions in that. Um, now, so, so again, it's, it's a sort of broad aspirational document. Um, the hope is, is that we'll see more things like incentives tied to commissioning and recommissioning, but um, it's, you know, absolutely part of the plan, um, along with, you know, somewhat related is behavior. Um, and again, that's a real sort of feature in the commercial section of the plan, because um, behavior, no matter how efficient your building is, um, behavior, if, if it's not maintained, um, then it's just going to throw um, all of your savings out of whack. Um, so yeah, it's a great question. It's definitely part of it. Great. Um, Pedro is wondering, uh, in one of your slides you mentioned the importance of using carrots over sticks, and Pedro is wondering if you could speak a little bit more about the, the reasoning behind that, uh, using that thinking in creating the strategic plan. Well, one reason is that the strategic plan is a voluntary document, so um, there isn't much of a, a, a stick there to begin with. Um, although, you know, if you know, there there are things, elements in the plan that do end up in our in our uh, regulatory proceedings. Um, but to begin with, you know, it is um, it is a, a voluntary document, and and the idea is that there's, you know, you you want to find. Um, you want to find out what the right incentives and what the right um, terms of what's good for the what's good for business in terms of payback time and um, and you know why why is this a you know what what will um, what in the plan will will lead to that market transformation and to where the market will will institutionalize these these changes that we're calling for. So that's kind of the, the, the idea behind it. Great. Well, <clears throat> given the, the challenges of the past that you mentioned and um, kind of 
the looming challenges of the future, uh, what is what is being done to ensure the future of the strategic plan? And I mean, specifically, if say various goals are are missed or consistently missed, what what is the fate of the plan? What what will happen? Well, I think one thing that you know, like Christina said at the beginning, is that this is a living document, and you know, we recognize that. I mean, since this has been published, we've had, you know, on, on one hand, we've had a major recession, and that's really slowed down our new um, new construction. And, you know, but on the other hand, there have been, you know, great advances in, you know, things like lighting technologies that um, we weren't anticipating, and things like, you know, home area networks that um, were just barely talked about in 2008. So, you know, I think the idea is that this, this um, you know, both the strategic plan and the action plans need to, you know, do need to be continually updated and be considered a living document to, to keep up with the times because, you know, things change. Great. Well, Lee is wondering, uh, what performance metrics do you use to measure the success of the implementation of the plan? Well, it depends on the there are 12 chapters. And, in, in each uh, chapter has its own has its own set of, of of goals and metrics and milestones, and uh, it really depends on which um, <clears throat> what you're talking about. I would uh, in, invite you to download the report and take a look at it. Um, but there are um, I mean, I'm just sort of looking at the the some of the near the, the milestones that are in this um, slide that we showed earlier, where you know there are we, we list strategies and, and you know where we want those what we where we want things to sort of end up. For instance, you know developing a financing tools for zero net energy and ultra low energy buildings is a strategy that we identified, and um, and it's you know kind of goes along with. You know uh, how to implement, in it's you know our our timeline for that are you know to implement the most effective funding mechanisms in the midterms from 12 to 15, and to expand the implementation of funding me mechanisms from 16 to 20, and you know keep keep expanding as it goes on. And this is you know again these were um, set up in 2008, and we didn't really know what we were getting into. But this is the kind of thing where we we just sort of needed to identify some, some milestones. Christina, you might have some other ones. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with the advent of the plan, um, with the last portfolio cycle of 2010 to 2012, a couple of new uh, metrics were introduced. And one is a program performance metric, um, where utilities who are implementing programs that are meant to achieve some of the goals of the plan um, voluntary report how they're doing on some of those metrics. And then there's also the market transformation indicators that have been developed by the state. Um, and those, there was a report released, I believe, at the end of last year on those and, and how those are doing. Um, that said, another obvious indicator is savings. And so um, we just came out with a report um, for the CPUC uh, that, that published how the portfolio is doing. So that's information that's available as well. Uh, but that said, you know, when the action plans were originally developed, they were developed to track progress. Um, it was considered a pretty essential part of um, demonstrating success as well as 
having a way to regularly communicate with stakeholders um, about the progress. Um, that said, uh, you know, it was done with the basic framework of project management. So, um, you know, we had a timeline, we, we estimated how things were going and whether or not something was achieved. There was a pretty wide variance in between different sectors. So in some cases, everything that was outlined in the marketing, um, education, and outreach section of the plan was achieved. Um, on the other hand, there's some areas such as lighting, that chapter was created two years after the original publication of the plan, that ended up being, um, from that perspective, a little behind. Um, I don't believe that the CPC is still tracking progress on action plans in the same way, um, but it's definitely something that um, is a great question to ask about, and, and I personally believe is an essential part of um, ongoing success and engagement of stakeholders. Great. Well, we're coming up on the end here, but there are a few uh, really good questions that I was hoping to ask. So maybe you could try to answer the next few questions uh, relatively quickly. So Aaron would like to know, uh, in, in executing the plan, which stakeholder group is the most challenging to engage, and why are they challenging to gaze, and what creative ways might you have used to, uh, to progress? Um, I can answer that, and then I have to drop off. Um, the most challenging to engage, believe it or not, I think in other in in many ways um, is is probably um, our fellow colleagues at um, other agencies. You know, the state has had such a, a challenging time with budgets and with staffing that people are stretched so thin. Um, there's absolutely been a commitment and desire to engage on a deep level, but it, it hasn't been consistent across the board just simply because every department in every part of the state is so overwhelmed with work and in many cases has um, you know, lost a lot of positions due to budget cuts. Um, that said, um, you know, we, we have engaged with a whole broad swath of different kinds of groups, everything from NEMA um, to the New Buildings Institute, everything from, um, you know, the folks who work on um, California high-performance schools um, over, you know, over to the Western HVAC Performance Alliance. Um, with that point, though, the whole reason the Performance Alliance was created and originally funded in part um, through some of the energy efficiency dollars was because that is such a particular industry. Um, as I mentioned earlier on, it's you know um, very divided. It's um, a, a very intense and passionate group. And the HVAC um, group, the Western HVAC Performance Alliance, um, itself has been instrumental in achieving successes with that stakeholder group. So with that, I'm going to have to ring off, but I know Rory's going to stay on to answer a few more questions. Great. Thank you so much, Christina. All You're right. welcome. Uh, Jennifer asks, um, how important is labor force development to the achievements of the plan's targets? She's wondering if there are any skill gaps that might need to be filled um, in the wider California area. Um, there certainly are. It's very important because these are a lot of these are new technologies and um, new ideas, and the idea is also that we need more of everything. So, um, so there is definitely a um, you know, that's one of the reasons we, we broke out a, a section of the plan for workforce training. And um, in terms of the, the gaps, that's not my, my um, specialty of knowledge, but I do know that there is, um, you know, that there is a, you know, the, our utilities do have uh, training centers 
for um, for these kinds of skills, and there are several other you know nonprofits and community colleges that we've really that have, that have really sort of um, stepped up to that challenge um, and you know begun um, green building and energy efficiency design classes. Excellent. All right, uh, and this is the final question. Um, Capil is wondering whether uh, municipal utilities uh, are treated any differently than the investor-owned utilities in the state, um, or whether the goals for those two groups uh, differ in any way in the plan. Um, yes, they, well, they, the big difference between them is that the PUC does not regulate the um, the public utilities, and they are about they comprise about um, about 20 to 25 percent of the state, and so they are you know they are we we did engage them with the original formation of the strategic plan, but not so much on an ongoing basis um, <clears throat> because just it's just uh, something that you know again it's an area that we're not uh, we're not in, in constant contact with them. So, um, but I know that they're aware of it, and I know that in um, you know, in the case of our Sacramento utility, they're you know kind of surpassing the um, the investor-owned utilities in a lot of this, um, a lot of the things that we've we put forth in the in the plan. So, um, so they're 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 on board in general, but they're not as uh, as engaged as the IOUs are. Excellent. Well, thank you. Um, well, that concludes today's talk on California's Energy Efficiency Strategic Plan. We would like to thank Rory Cox and Christina Skierka for joining us this afternoon. If you'd like to view a recording of this webinar, please visit the Yale Center for Business and the Environment website. All Blueprint for Efficiency links are under the Outreach tab. Please tune in next Tuesday, April 2nd, for our webinar on Innovative Energy Efficiency Financing in California with David Nemsau and Frank Spasaro. This is Nick Klein from the Yale Center for Business and the Environment saying so long from New Haven, Connecticut.